Well, good morning. My name is Rich. Just in case you're not sure who I am, I'm excited about the opportunity to get to uh, talk with you this morning. Pastor Jim is gone this week. He's uh, in Cambodia right now with uh, 12 or 13 other people. They are visiting uh, Asia's Hope, which are, that's our, or, our orphanages over in uh, Cambodia. They'll be going to Thailand as well and visiting uh, the orphanage that we have over there. And so we're really excited uh, for the opportunity that they have. Uh, they are 12 hours ahead of us, so they are probably in bed uh, right now, I would imagine, after a really busy day of loving on kids and hugging on them and everything like that, but I'm sure that they're also uh, filled with joy because of everything that they got to uh, experience uh, over there. And so I'd encourage you just to be sure that you uh, just spend some time praying uh, for, for the team there, uh, and especially as they have uh, several more days that they will be, be over there. So I'd encourage you to, to pray for them. But uh, that leaves me with the opportunity to share with you, which I'm really excited about uh, to do that today. Um, back in 2011, I ran this event uh, called a Tough Mudder, and uh, we did this together as a staff. We were able to to run this this uh, event called a Tough Mudder together back in uh, November 2011. And and uh, if you're not sure what a Tough Mudder is, it's a really uh, kind of crazy uh, experience. But it's a it's a 12 mile obstacle race, and so you, you so you run 12 miles, and during that 12 miles, you have 20 plus obstacles that you have to uh, have to overcome. And so, like, some of the obstacles are just mud. I mean, they call it a mudder for a reason. I mean, there were times where, where I, I was literally in mud that was up, you know, up to my, up to almost my waist. It was, it was just crazy and just the thickest mud that you've ever, it was unreal. And so, so you're doing that, and there's also lots of stuff that you have to climb over, stuff you have to climb under, stuff you have to climb through. Uh, one of the obstacles was uh, jumping into a dumpster full of ice water. And so I'm in ice water. It's up to my chest and, you know, just uh, really cool. But, um, and then, uh, you know, there's uh, another obstacle, electrical shocks, you know, it's just all sorts of just crazy stuff. You actually have to sign a death waiver to do this event. And so, of course, we did it. It just makes sense to do it. And so, so we uh, went and did this event. Uh, now, there was one obstacle in particular that was kind of... Uh, my obstacle that, that was causing me to face some of my biggest fears. I know what you're thinking. How does a man that exudes manhood like this? How can I be afraid of anything? But it's true. I get that a lot, but it's true. Um, there's one event that in particular that really caused me to face uh, some fears, and it was um, an, uh, an obstacle called walk the plank. And so what, what you have to do with this obstacle is you run up to it, and uh, you have to climb a rope. And so you grab onto this rope, and you climb up the rope, and then you get to the top of a platform that's about 15 to 20 feet off the ground. And then what you're to do is to jump off this platform into a canyon of water and, and then swim your way out. Now, um, so that's, that's the obstacle. And, and remember, this was November. And, and so the water was probably about 55 degrees. It was, it was really cold. So anyway, this, this caused me to face some serious fears. And, and it wasn't so much the, you know, the climbing up the, up the rope that scared me. It wasn't the height that scared me or anything like that. What what caused me to be frightened was, was the water. And uh, because up to that point in my life, I had always had this incredible fear of, of water. This was, this was my, my fear. I, I was afraid of water. Now, it, I wasn't like afraid of water. Like I could go in pools and I could do all that kind of stuff. It wasn't a big deal. You know, I could stay in the shallow end. I could wait around. You know, I could do, do all of that. But, but what started to happen, like if I would get in water that started to get up to my neck and if it got up to my chin and if, you know, started to go above my head and then if my feet were not able to touch the bottom, that is whenever 
whatever, I would really start to freak out. It just got really ugly. And so, so uh, this was, this, I'm not sure. So I guess my fear wasn't so much a fear of water as much as it was a fear of drowning. I think there's some like technical psychiatrical term for that. I don't know what it is. We'll just call it the, the thing that I was afraid of for my entire life. So that's, that's basically what I had, I had to face. And so I had a couple options that one of the options was I could still do, do the mutter, but just not do this obstacle because they don't make you do the obstacles if you, if you don't want to do them. They don't make you do it, especially if you're going to drown. You know, they, they kind of frown on that. And so, so, so I, I didn't have to do the obstacle if I didn't want to, but that was one option. But the other option was, was to face my fear and just tackle it and, and learn how to swim so I could complete this obstacle. And, and so that's what I decided to do. And so this was two years ago. I was 40 years old at the time. And at 40 years old, I decided to learn how to swim so I could do this obstacle. Now, what was really funny about that is I have a, I have a son, my oldest son, Ezra, at the time was four years old. He was also learning how to swim. So, so here I am at 40 and my son's at four and we're both learning how to swim at the same time. And he's like, he's like a fish, man. The kid is like so much better at this than I am. But it's, it's very humbling to, to, experience that. But anyway, I, I uh, decided to learn how to swim so I could complete this obstacle. And so I got ready for the, for the big obstacle. I came up to the event and so I climbed up the platform. Here's a, a picture of me right here. Uh, first one's going to come up there. That's me in the red. So I'm looking over the edge and what's going through my mind is I'm about to die. And so that was pretty much uh, what was going through my mind right there. Then there's another picture right here. Here's me getting ready to jump to my death. That's what's going on in my mind. And then the last picture is there I am jumping to my death. And so I'm uh, diving off this platform. And I look at that picture and that honestly uh, creates a lot of pride in me because that represents more than just me completing an obstacle. That represents me overcoming a fear and overcoming something that, has, has, that had controlled me uh, for, for honestly my, my entire life. And what's really cool also when I look at that picture is I didn't die. I was very happy about that. That was just a bonus for me. And so, so uh, as I look at that, that creates a lot of emotion in me and a lot of just a sense of accomplishment and pride. I'm just really happy with that, with that and everything. But honestly, the desire to learn how to swim went a whole lot deeper than just overcoming an obstacle. The desire for me to, to learn how to swim went a whole lot deeper than just, than just being able to finish you know, that obstacle, to be able to walk the plank and everything, because I spent my whole life in the shallow end of the pool. Seriously, up to 40 years old, I have spent my whole life in the shallow end of the pool, and I just didn't want to be that person anymore. I just didn't want to be the person who always stayed in the shallow end. I didn't want to be the person who, who uh, let his fear uh, control him and who let his, his anxiety control him. I just wanted to be someone different. And so, so my learning how to swim went a whole lot deeper than, than simply o- overcoming that obstacle. It represented just a, being someone different in, in my life. And, and, and as I think about that, and as, re- as I was reflecting on that a, a bit this week, something that I've found in my life, I mean, it kind of represents a principle that I think is true, true in my life, but also true in, in all of our lives, and it's this. If I'm focusing my goals on becoming the person God wants me to be, then I will always do what God wants me to do. 
If I'm focusing my goals on becoming the person that God wants me to be, then I'll always be doing what God wants me to do because being who God wants me to be will lead me to doing what God wants me to do in my life. Now, too many times in life, I think we get it backwards. Too many times we, we, we get it reversed because what often happens, what we see ourselves doing is, is we start focusing on what we want to do. We start focusing on what we want to do, what we want to accomplish. We start focusing on what we want. But it's always a mistake to do that first because it's always a mistake to focus your attention on what you want to accomplish before you focus on who you want to be. That is always going to be a mistake. And the reason for that is who you are will always show up in what you do. Every single time. Who you are will always show up in what you do. Who you are will ultimately impact what you do. Now, there's nothing wrong with with having these these things that you want to accomplish. There's nothing wrong with having these goals that you want to do, these things that you want to see accomplished in your life. I think stuff like that is is very important, but I, I really believe that we should be willing to focus more on who we want to be rather than what we want to do. God, who do you want me to be? Because if we focus on who God wants us to be, then we'll always be willing to do what God wants us to do. Now, we're going to look at a story in in the book of Judges in the Bible. We're going to continue in our series, and and there's a story in Judges chapter 9 of a guy who I think got this all messed up. A story of a guy who got this all mixed up. He focused his attention on what he wanted to accomplish. He focused his his attention on what he wanted to do. But what we're going to see is that his character was never able to handle his accomplishments. And so we're going to see that that this morning. So I'd encourage you to uh, open up your Bibles to Judges chapter 9. If you need a Bible, you can go ahead and put your hand up. Everybody here in the main, uh, or if you're over in the link and need a Bible, put your hand up. Somebody will be around to uh, give you a Bible. But we're going to look at Judges. Actually, let's turn to Judges chapter 8 first. Judges chapter 8, because this is kind of where the story begins, and it sets a lot of background for what we're going to see in in Judges chapter 9. So Judges chapter 8, verse 22, and whenever we read that verse, we're going to see the name Gideon. Uh, Gideon may be a name that you're familiar with. If you grew up in church, you might recognize that name. Even if you're not, you know, somebody that grew up in church, you may have just heard a story about Gideon or just heard that name. It may sound familiar to you. But, but uh, we're going to hear the name Gideon, see the name Gideon. And what, what's happened here is God has just used Gideon to win this incredible battle for the nation of Israel. He has just used Gideon to win this incredible battle. And it, it's honestly a fascinating read. If you want to read two chapters uh, this week, Judges chapter 6, I guess it'd be 3, Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 7, Judges chapter 8, that's fascinating reading. Uh, it's just really fun to read that, that story of Gideon. So that might be something that you want to, want to do this week. But, but what we're going to see is, is uh, after this battle... After this battle has been won is where we're going to pick it up at Judges chapter 8 verse 22. And it says this, it says, The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, 
your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. So basically what what the Israelites are saying is, since you have saved us from the bad guys, we want you to be our king. Since you have saved us, we want to make you our king. We want to follow you. Look at verse uh, 23. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Now, this is a really important part of our story, so I don't want us to, to miss this, because as I look at that, why would Gideon turn down this promotion? Why would he not uh, decide to, to, to accept this, this, this promotion that the Israelites are offering him? Why would he choose not to be king and an opportunity for him to do some, some amazing good in his life? Why would he turn that down? Well, the reason he turned it down was because around a hundred years earlier or so, God specifically said this through Moses. You don't have to turn there, but it's uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14. And this is what God specifically said through Moses. He said, when you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you. So the Israelites are already in this land in the book of Judges. This is the land that Moses is talking about here. They're already there in, in the book of Judges. So so Moses says, when you enter the land that the Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. And so God is very clear right there. For this to work out in the absolute best possible way, the king should be somebody that I choose. The king should be somebody that I, God, choose to be king. Gideon was not that man. Uh, That was not Gideon's purpose. King is not who God wanted Gideon to be. The people wanted Gideon to be king. The people wanted him to be king, but not God. And, and Gideon made it very clear that he understood this. God chooses the king. Now that's really important because uh, that's setting the stage for what we're going to see happen in Judges chapter 9. So look at Judges chapter 9, uh, verse 1. Judges chapter 9, verse 1. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal. Now, we're just going to stop right there really quickly because, um, you know, when I read the Bible, I see, you know, I'm looking at, you know, what's jumping out at me, what's happening. And so it, that's a really important uh, verse right there because we're introduced to two people right away. We're introduced to Abimelech and we're introduced to somebody named Jerubbaal. Who is Jerubbaal? That's, that was my question. Who in the world is Jerubbaal? Why is he mentioned in there? So what I did is I just looked up and actually, if you just go one verse earlier, In Judges chapter 8, verse 35, look at that verse. It says, They also failed to show kindness to the family of Jerubbaal. That is who? That is Gideon. So Jerubbaal is Gideon. It's just another name uh, for Gideon. So when we're introduced to Abimelech, what we're finding out is that Abimelech is Gideon's son. Abimelech is, is Gideon's son. And so that's where we're at here. Abimelech, son of Jerubbaal, went to his mother's brothers in Shechem and said to them and to all his mother's clan, ask all the citizens of Shechem, which is better for you to have all 70 of Jerubbaal's sons rule over you or just one man? Now, side note, just stop right there. 
70 sons? Holy cow. Seriously. <laughs> what is going on with Gideon here, man? You know, was he like part rabbit? I don't know. But seriously, like his life mission must have been like be fruitful and multiply. Woohoo. You know, like he was obviously a busy man, which may be the reason why he couldn't have been king. I got too many sons to take care of. And so Gideon was obviously a, a really busy man with, with 70 kids. But anyway, what we're seeing here is we're seeing some confusion uh, that's probably happening because, because what's, what's happening is once Gideon died, nobody was really sure who was in charge. He wasn't, Gideon wasn't king, but he was kind of in charge of the people. And so once he died, nobody was really sure who was in charge. And so Abimelech steps in and he says, hey, why don't y'all just make me king? Why don't we just, you know, settle this and make it right? Why don't you just make me king? And this can be easy on all of us. And so that's, that's what he said. And so uh, that's where we pick it up at, uh, at yeah, verse, verse uh, finishing verse 2. It says, remember, I am your flesh and blood. Then verse 3, when the brothers repeated all this to the citizens, when the brothers repeated all this to the citizens of Shechem, they were inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. So here we have Abimelech with some very clear things that he wants to accomplish in his life. He obviously wants to be king. So he has that goal to, to be king. He's ob- and he's also obviously very gifted. He's very talented. I mean, for everyone, the, the Bible says everyone was inclined to follow him. And so what that tells me is that he was a, he was a leader. He was very gifted at, at, at leadership. Abimelech had people following him. He was probably a very driven person. He was probably a very charismatic person. He probably had a tenacity that was, that was very contagious. He was able to cast a vision and people were able to grasp onto that vision. And so by all accounts, as I look at Abimelech's life, he, he you know, just from that small passage of, of, of the Bible right there, he, he seems to be a very gifted and a very talented person who wants to be king. But as we'll see, he decided on what he wanted to accomplish before he decided who he wanted to be. And remember, that's, that's always a mistake because who you are will always show up in what you do. And so, so the people want to make him king. They're inclined to follow him. And then what's the first thing that happens? Let's look at verse 4. They gave him 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Belbereth. That's a, that was an idol. That was a false god. So they gave him 70 70 shekels of silver. That's really hard to say. Uh, 70 shekels of silver from the temple of Belbereth. And Abimelech used it to hire reckless adventurers who became his followers. He went to his father's home in Orphra and on one stone murdered his 70 brothers, the sons of Jerubbaal. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jerubel, escaped by hiding. Then all the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo gathered beside the great tree at the pillar in Shechem to crown Abimelech king. And so what's going on here is we, we see Abimelech accomplishes what he wanted to accomplish. He sets out with his drive and with his ambition and with his goals in hand, and he just makes it happen. But his character, his character was in no way ready to handle his accomplishment because the first thing he does, what's the first thing he does? He hires reckless adventurers. And the Hebrew word for that is Michigan fans. But I digress. That's uh, not... Anyway, 
He hires these, these reckless adventurers. And, and, and then from there, from there what he does is he murders, he kills. It says he killed them on, on, on one stone. That, that's just a term to kind of signify a public execution. So he murders publicly 69 people. And not just any 69 people, but his brothers. 69 of his brothers he murders. And so I, I look at that and I'm like, oh man, what is going on? And that's obviously, you know, a very e- extreme example. You know, that's obviously to, to go out there and, and, and hire those people and then to murder 69 people. That's, that's obviously a very extreme e- example. But the truth is this. The truth is to some degree this happens all the time. To some degree, this happens all the time because the truth is all we have to do is look back even on the first six months of this year, just look back on the first six months of this year, and we can see uh, we can see movie stars, we can see musicians, we can see professional athletes, we can see government officials, we can see all these people who have accomplished so much in their life, all these people who have who have risen in power. All these people who, have, who are amazingly talented and gifted and they now have a platform of influence. All these people who, who maybe for their entire life they wanted to serve in government, they wanted to hold public office and now they're there. They have risen to an incredible power and they have gathered uh, massive amounts of wealth and they have accumulated lots of prestige among, among people. But sometimes all you need to do is just even look back on, on the first half of this year and you can see some of the decisions that those people made. And you're like, what in the world? Seriously, what, what are they thinking? Why would somebody do that? Why would somebody who, who has all, all the money that they could ever want and, and has all this position that they would ever want and is married to this amazingly beautiful woman, why would they have an affair? Why would they sacrifice all of that? to have an affair with somebody? Why would a professional athlete who, who probably grew up in a really, you know, many of them are growing up in a really poor environment, in a really difficult environment, but they are gifted athletically. And so, so they're put in a position where they're, they're making more money than they'll know what to do with. Why would they sign a contract for millions of dollars a year and then potentially blow all of that money Because they made one stupid decision, they got arrested or they did something that was just dumb. Why would they do that? Why would somebody who's in public office and and, and has worked their entire life to get there, why would they finally get there and and then decide that they are just going to have a lapse of integrity and do something dishonest and completely ruin their chances of getting reelected or completely ruin any influence that they could ever have? Why would somebody do something like that? Why would they risk everything that they have worked so hard for? And the reason is, I think, because they focused on what they wanted to accomplish before they focused on who they wanted to be. Their accomplishments outran their character, and they didn't know how to handle success. And what happened is they got it all reversed. They got it all backwards. They focused on what they wanted to do before they focused on who they wanted to be. And that is always a mistake because who you are always shows up in what you do. 
And so we can keep reading on in the story at verse 7, Judges 9, verse 7, and it says, When Jotham, remember Jotham was the one brother who escaped. He was the one that was not killed. When Jotham was told about this, he climbed up on the top of Mount Gerizim and he shouted to them. And so what he begins to do, what Jotham begins to do is he begins to tell a story. He begins specifically to tell a fable. And a fable is just a, a, a fictitious story that takes animals or it takes plants or, or something like that. And then it gives those animals or plants human characteristics. And so then uh, it, it begins, as you tell the story, it, it begins to have a moral lesson. And so what, what Jotham is doing here is he starts to tell a fable. And this is the first fable that, that is, that's found in the Bible. It says, it says this. It says, listen to me, citizens of Shechem, so that God may listen to you. One day the trees went out to anoint a king for themselves. And they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree answered, should I give up my oil by which both gods and men are honored to hold sway over the trees? And then next the tree said to the fig tree, come and be our king. But the fig tree replied, should I give up my fruit so good and so sweet to hold sway over the trees? And then the trees said to the vine, to the grapevine, come and be our king. But the vine answered, should I give up my wine, which cheers both gods and men to hold sway over the trees? Finally, finally, all the trees said to the thorn bush, come and be our king. The thorn bush said to the trees, if you really want to anoint me king over you, come and take refuge in my shade. But if not... Then let the fire come out of the thorn bush and consume the cedars of Lebanon. So that is the fable. That's the story that Jotham is telling. Now, what, what does that mean? The translation of that story is this. Good trees are good because of who they are. The, the good trees are good because of who they are, the olive tree, the fig tree, the, the, the grapevine, what allows them to give back, what allows them to make a difference is who they are because who you are always shows up in what you do. But the trees chose a thorn bush to lead them. A, a, a thorn bush, and you can think of the thorn bush like this. A thorn bush, a person of low character. A, a person not ready for the task. A person more concerned with, with prestige. And a person more concerned with position. And a person more concerned with, with power. And a person who is controlled by pride. A person more concerned with what he wants to accomplish instead of really making a difference for people instead of really helping people. And the thorn bush says, come and take shelter under my shade. But the problem is, a thorn bush can't provide shade. A thorn bush has, it has nothing to offer. It has, it has no character. It has no values. It has no integrity. And if it becomes the leader, its position will outrun its character. And so what Jotham is saying here is, is the same thing that, that I'm trying to say to us today. Who you are will always show up in what you do. And, and we see this play out in Abimelech's life in just really, really tragic ways. Because as you continue to read on in Judges chapter 9, you'll see, you'll see that Abimelech's character was never able to handle his position. 
because throughout the rest of the story, he just does awful things. He just does horrible things in an effort to hold on to his position. He destroys cities. He burns down towns. He kills men. He kills women. And he is just ruthless. It is just, some of the stuff he does, it's just awful to read how ruthless that he was. But then his life finally comes to an end. And let's see how his life comes to an end. Let's look at Judges chapter 9. Uh, verse 50. Verse 50. Judges 9, verse 50. This is how Abimelech's life comes to an end. It says, Next Abimelech went to Thebes, and he besieged it, and he captured it. Inside the city, however, was a strong tower, to which all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled. They locked themselves in and climbed up on the tower roof. And Abimelech went to the tower, and he stormed it. But as he approached the entrance to the tower to set it on fire, a woman dropped an upper millstone on his head and cracked his skull. And all I got to say is, you go, girl. Way to go. That's one for the girls right there. I mean, it's kind of like, just picture it like this. This is the equivalent of mom taking her pampered chef bread pan and just dropping it on his head and saying, oops, sorry, you know, and, and killing him. And so, so this is one for the girl. I just think that's awesome. Anyway, um, and then, then it goes on to say, hurriedly, after that happened, hurriedly, he called to his armor bearer and he said, draw your sword and kill me. So they can't say that a woman killed him. And the reason he said that is because in those times and that day, the most humiliating end that a warrior could ever come to was being killed by a woman. And so he didn't want anybody to say that, that he, was, he was killed by a woman. And so his servant ran him through and he died. When the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, three really sad words to me, and I'll tell you why here in a minute, but when the Israelites saw that Abimelech was dead, they went home. They didn't have anything else to do. They went home. Thus, God repaid the wickedness that Abimelech had done to his father by murdering his 70 brothers. Now, as I look at this story, this story to me is very upsetting, and it, it just bothers me. And it, and it bothers me for several reasons. I mean, not only because of all the horrific stuff that Abimelech did and all the people he murdered. And he was just a bad guy, you know. So, so like, that stuff bothers me. But real, what really bothers me is this. Here's a guy who, by all accounts, seemed to be very gifted. A guy who was very talented. A guy who seemed to have all the potential in the world. People were inclined to follow him. But he's more concerned with doing something great than being someone great. And at the end of his life, he had no lasting legacy. He had no impact that outlived him. Nobody was saying we need to carry on the, the legacy of Abimelech. What did the people do? The people just went home. Abimelech left them with nothing to follow. Abimelech left them with no legacy to carry on. Because he had no character, he left no legacy. And the people just went home. They, they had a person to follow, but they had no legacy to follow. It's incredibly sad to me. And so what does this look like for us today as we kind of, you know, look at that story and we read it and it's kind of an interesting story and stuff like that. But what does it mean? Like, what are we supposed to take home with us today? Well, 
Let me try to explain what I think we should take home uh, today by kind of explaining to you what my journey this week has been like as I've kind of kind of worked through this story and just other things like that. This is kind of how, how I've kind of experienced it and looked at it. But um, I'll be, you know, if you were here last week, you'll, you'll remember that as a church we announced that I'll be transitioning roles um, at, at our church. For 11 years I have, I've been the youth pastor here and have loved working with our teenagers. Loved it. I'm going to miss my kids. I am. Um, I have loved working with our teenagers. And so I've done that for 11 years. And now we're going to be, in the fall, I'm going to be transitioning to a different role here at the church. I'll be staying at the church, but no longer working uh, with, with our teenagers. And so for 11 years, um, I felt like God has given me the specific purpose of investing my life in, into teenagers. I felt like, like, you know, my role my purpose was to, was to point teenagers to Jesus. I felt like my, my purpose was to train them up and, and, and to how they can know God and how they can serve others and how they can share their life with others. I mean, that's been my focus for, for 11 years and honestly longer than that too. When you think of, of just my time volunteering at churches or interning at churches, or whatever, whatever that may be, it's like 18 years uh, overall. And so it's been my purpose for all that time to invest in, and, and teenagers. And, and again, if you were here last week, or if you happen to catch like, uh, happen to catch my blog and all that kind of stuff, maybe what, uh, like what you saw is that this wasn't a decision that just happened like that. I mean, this, this, this transition didn't come about because I had a bad day one day. You know, this transition didn't come about because, you know, I, I, I woke up one day and was like, oh, I think I'm supposed to change role. No, this has been a year and a half in the making. Uh, a, a year and a half ago is whenever I felt God just to begin to kind of turn my heart in, in that direction. And so this has been something that has been a very long uh, process. And, and to be honest with you, as I entered 2013, I, I knew that this transition was going to be happening in, in the fall. And, and so for the first time, I felt like in my life, for the first time, I, I really felt lost. For the first time, I, I felt like, like I wasn't, I w- I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do. For, for, the lo- for as long as I can remember, teenagers have been what I'm doing, you know, in and, 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 and ministry. And so I knew that I was, you know, that my mindset was going to change. I'm going to be stepping into areas that I don't even know what, what they are and everything. And, and to be honest, this, is, this has been hard because I'm not 100% sure of what all of that is going to look like. But what has really helped me this year is focusing on, on this one truth, and the one truth is, is this. As long as I'm focusing on who God wants me to be, I will always be doing what God wants me to do. That, that has been the, the, the foundation for what has helped me get through a time of feeling a bit lost. That, that as long as I am focusing on who God wants me to be, then I will always be doing what God wants me to do. And, and you see, like, God, God has my plans all figured out. <laughs> you know, that, that's really reassuring to me, that God has my plans all figured out. I can sit here, and I can come up with charts, and I can come up with graphs, and I can come up with spreadsheets, and, and this big old list of goals, and say, I want to see this happen, and this happen, and this happen, and make this happen in my new position, and all that kind of stuff. 
But there's nothing wrong with that. There's a time, there's a place for, for doing stuff like that. But, but there's this really powerful verse to me. You don't have to turn there. It's going to come up on the screens. But it's Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. And it says this. It says, Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many are the plans of a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. I want to be more concerned with God's purpose than my plans. God has my plans all figured out. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have to stress over that stuff. I don't have to worry about, about, about my plans because God has my plans all figured out. I don't have to stress over that stuff. I want to focus more on, 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 on God's purpose because it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail, not my plans. And so another really powerful verse is, is, is Jeremiah 29 uh, verse 11, and, and, and it's going to come up on the screens too, but this verse says this. It says, for I know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. This is a promise from God. God knows the plans he has for you. He has thought this through. There's another translation of that same verse that says it this way. It says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. I love that. I love the fact that God thinks about me. I love the fact that God has thought about you. I love the fact that we are on God's mind. And whenever he developed a plan for us, he thought it through incredibly well. It wasn't something that he's, he just came up with. God's not a procrastinator. You know, he had eternity to come up with this stuff. And he thought specifically about you and gave you a plan. He doesn't just come up with some cookie-cutter, one-size-fits-all plan. It is custom-made. It is tailor-fit. It is intentionally designed just for you. He has a specific plan and a specific purpose for each of us. And it is well thought out. And I love the fact that God thinks about me. I love the fact that we are on God's mind. Because there's another verse. It's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 that says, In his well-thought-out, organized plan for our lives, he has literally planned, he has literally purposed good things for us to do in advance. He has thought this through. He knows what he is doing. And so I I just find that so uh, awesome to me because while you were sleeping last night, God was thinking about you. While you were sleeping last night, you were on God's mind and he could not wait to talk to you and he could not wait to show you the good things that he has planned for you to do today. He wants to tell you those things. He's probably like, don't hit the snooze again, man. Get up. I've been waiting here all night just so I could talk with you. I have been waiting here all night just so I could unveil my my plan for you today. I've been waiting here all night to show you exactly what it is that I have thought through just for you. And it's going to be awesome. I love that. I love that God thinks about me. So God has my plans figured out. And nobody is, is a better communicator than God, you know. So if you're feeling lost right now, if you're, if you're feeling like you don't really know what, what God's plan is specifically for you, when God wants you to know, you are going to find out. Because God is very clear. 
And God uh, doesn't try to hide things from us, I don't think. So when he wants you to know, it will, it will be very clear to you. The problem isn't that we don't know. Oftentimes the problem is we just don't want to do what we know. That's, the, that's another message, but that's usually the problem. But anyway, so this year, this year what I've tried to really focus my life on is this. Instead of focusing on what I've wanted to do, I'm trying to focus on who I want to be. That's how I've tried to attack this year. Because who I am will always show up in what I do. And if I'm becoming who God wants me to be, I will be doing what God wants me to do every single time. Are there things I want to accomplish? Are there things that I, that I want to do? Absolutely, yeah. There are things that I want to do. There are things I want to accomplish. But I'll tell you this, my greatest goals have nothing to do with what I want to accomplish. Nothing at all. My greatest goals have everything to do with who I want to be. Because when I think of who I want to be, I, I want to be a man of God. That's what I want to be. I want to be the best husband in the world to Carol. That's what I want to be. I want to be the best dad that Ezra and mercy and Torah and Judah could ever ask for. That's who I want to be. I want to be generous. I want to be kind. I want to be caring. I want to be a, 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 a man of humility. I want to be a man of integrity. That is who I want to be. Now, am I those things all the time? Of course not. Of course not. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. I'm not those things all the time, but that's what I'm striving to be. That is who I want to be. Because if I am those things, those things will always show up in what I do. And so, so I, hope, like, like we're, I hope we're catching how big this is and how important that, that this concept is. Because, you know, for me, this is what goes into me raising my kids. This is how big this is. This is what goes into me loving my wife. This is how enormous this is. This is what goes into to what I offer our church as somebody that's on the staff. This is huge stuff because who I am always comes out in what I do. And, and so, so what I think is really just, just awesomely cool is that whenever I set goals on who I want to be, whenever I focus on who I want to be, what I find is this. When I read the Bible, when I read the Bible, I see that God is like, this is who I've wanted you to be all along. I open up the Bible and I see that God wants me to be a great husband. God wants me to be a great dad. God wants me to be kind. He wants me to be generous. He wants me to be a person of integrity. He wants me to, to be caring of, of other people. This is who God has wanted me to be all along. And if God wants me to be it, God is going to help me do it. And so, and, and, and something else that I just think is life-changing for me, this is, this is a concept that revolutionized my life. God... God does not love me because of what I do. God loves me for what I'm trying to become. And, and, and that, if I can just be honest with you, is a concept that changed my life, revolutionized my life. Because once I finally understood that God wasn't so concerned with, with necessarily what I'm doing, but he's more concerned with, with what I'm being, who I'm trying, trying to be. It's, it, this is, once I got that, this is kind of the only way I could figure out how to describe it. For my, for my, 
most of my life, for my entire life, this is how I pictured my relationship with Jesus. This is what it was like. It was like that I'm on one side of a sliding glass door and Jesus is on the other side of that sliding glass door and that sliding glass door is closed. And so, so I, I saw Jesus there. I knew that he was there. I could see him. I could, you know, tell you about him and all that kind of stuff. But, but there was always something between me and him. And, and, and it was this barrier that never allowed me to really touch him, that never really allowed me to experience him. I could see him. I knew he was there, but there was always something between us. And when I finally understood that God was more concerned with what's happening on the inside of me than on the outside of me, when I finally got that, it was like the Holy Spirit opened up that sliding glass door, and for the very first time in my life, there was Jesus. And for the very first time in my life, like, like I could touch him. And like he reached out his arms and he grabbed onto me. And it was an experience that I will never forget because for the very first time in my life, instead of just seeing him, I was able to experience him. I was able to touch him. And nothing has revolutionized my life more than that. It is the best thing that has ever happened to me. It is what has totally transformed who I am. It has changed my life. And this, this is what changes our lives too. This is, what, this is what helps us to be who God wants us to be. This is, this is what God does. God is in the heart business. God changes our hearts. He changes us from the inside. He makes us and helps us become the person that he wants us to be. Because who you are always shows up in what you do. And so, as I, as I just think about, about that, I just want you to realize this. You're going to be something. Every single one of you. You've got to be something. Why not decide to be the person that God wants you to be? Why not, why not decide to do that? Because there's so much that is at stake here. There's so much that hinges on who you are going to decide to be. Because for many of you, your marriage, your marriage is going to be won or lost because of who you decide to be. Your family is going to be won or lost because of who you decide to be. Your career is going to be won or lost because of who you decide to be. For those of you that are parents, many of you, your kids, may be won or lost because of who you decide to be. Those of you that are, that are graduates, those of you that are college or high school graduates, this is the most important thing that I think that I could ever tell you. Your future depends on who you're going to decide to be. It does. Most of us will put all of our time into what we want to do and will neglect who we want to be. And, and that's a mistake because who you are will always show up in what, in what you do. And if you spend time discovering who God wants you to be, you will always be doing what God wants you to do. And so my, my challenge to you is this, as you walk out of here this week and as you get to go home, please... Do this. 
take a piece of paper, take a pencil, take a pen, get a notebook, whatever it is, your computer, whatever you need to do, but sit down and think about who you want to be. Sit down and think about, like, what do I want my life to be about? Sit down and ask God to show you, this is the type of man I want to be known as. This is the type of woman I want to be known as. This is who I want to be because who you are will always show up in everything that you do. And so who is the person that you want to be? Get on your knees, beg God, God, show me. Show me who you want me to be. Look at that list and then ask God the question, is this who I'm becoming? Is this who I am? Because this, this is huge stuff. This is revolutionary stuff. This is what changes. This is what God uses to change, to change lives. And when our lives are changed, our impact becomes greater. And we can go out and help other lives to be changed as well. Will you pray with me? God, I pray for every single one of us that that is in this uh, room here in the main. I pray for everybody over in the link. And God, I ask you to please let let us catch this. God, I pray that we will focus more attention on, on, on not just what we want to do or what we want to accomplish, but God, I pray that our greatest focus and our greatest attention will be on who you want us to be, Lord. This is, this, is, this is what makes marriages. This is what makes careers. This is what makes families. This is what makes us. And so, God, I pray that you will help us to get this, to grasp this, and that you will change us from the inside, Lord, please. And I ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Have a great week.